To continue, I am making me mention of these types of activities which we engaged in during the vacation times of our preparation for priesthood to emphasize that we encountered some highly unusual circumstances which had the power to uplift the quality of our lives significantly. And these circumstances had as much to do with our preparation to enter the life of a priest as what occurred during all the time which we were in a monastic domain of seminary life. That is why, I repeat, we partook of experiences presented to us by being at the right place at precisely the right time, and what we partook in seldom happened to full-fledged priests, much less to seminarians. Having spent so much time driving the bishop in his car and simply being in his presence, even if it were in the role of a driver, a chauffeur, it goes without saying that both my brother and I became very conversational with Bishop Metzger. One time when he was to spend more time, a few days, going to a variety of large congregations appealing for funds to be able to pay off the diocesan debt which he had inherited, Father Gaynor suggested to him that he accept an invitation for the two of them to go to Mount Kisco, New York, for two to three day period of rest. At that time, Mount Kisco was a neighborhood of wealthy estates surrounded by more wealthy estates. What it is today, I have no idea. It so happened that a former classmate of Father Gaynor, who had been in law school with him prior to his entering the seminary as a late vocation, resided in one of those mansions squirreled in one of those estate grounds. That estate used to belong to Averill Harriman, a famous diplomat at one time. The acreage of that estate literally rivaled the size of the entire Vatican state in Rome, in size. The former fellow student was a woman who had completed law school and had become an accomplished lawyer in her own right. She and her husband, as I recall, were both successful lawyers, and she, especially according to what Father Gaynor said, uh, said to us and to the bishop who had never met her, had many important dealings with the Vatican on an ongoing basis, so ongoing that she frequently went to the Vatican on business as a, an involved lay Catholic woman. I was too young to have inquired what business that would have been. I assume now that the bishop made it a point to find, to acquaint himself with what that business would have been. Father Gaynor persuaded, persuaded the bishop that his acquaintance with her and her with him would be of mutual benefit, if for nothing else, for a great friendship between two highly successful people in Catholicism. The bishop was intrigued, we were told, by Father Gaynor, who was about to involve our services in the suggested plans. When the bishop inquired how they would get to the touted Shangri-La, as it were, Father Gaynor said that he could arrange for Danny and Eddie to have his car there in New York, ready and able to do all the necessary driving to and from Mount Kisco, New York. Those arrangements suited the bishop just fine, just fine. We had managed to capture his trust in our driving and, in our find, and find, he was fine with our company. So Danny and I were asked if we would go, to, go with these arrangements to which we readily agreed. 
upon Gaynor's suggestion, who knew, York, knew, who knew New York very well, we found a home which rented out rooms like a boarding house and made it more affordable for us than a hotel or a motel. We rented that for lodging alone, no meals. That became our headquarters for the many excursions we chose to make around the Brooklyn area. When they were ready, we picked them up at their respective hotels. I was 19 years old at the time, and Danny was 24. We had managed to navigate us to the gates of what had been the Harriman Estate in Upper State, New York. I have no idea how we did that. We got the bishops, the bishop there, and the friend of the Manises, Father Gaynor. We entered the gates to an extensive estate which led to a palatial mansion with acreage which Gaynor told us took $1 million for annual landscaping. That was a million dollars in 1953. We figured that if he were exaggerating by 50%, that still meant that lawn service was a $500,000, a lot of money. My brother and I were in for the first of many surprising surprises. It seemed like the bishop was too. Our plan was to drop them off and return to the little settlement that we had seen comprising the town of Mount Kisco. We had seen a post office, a gas station or two, a couple of motels, and perhaps a diner for tourists. From that motel, we expected to pick them up when their visit was concluded. The Manus's family was all delighted for a bishop to be coming to their house as a guest. They had many bishops, apparently, and even a cardinal as their guest. They had expected the visit since uh, Father Gaynor had made the arrangements with his former college friend, Loft, school friend, to be precise. The Mr. and Mrs. had two sons and one daughter, I believe. Those were the ones that we were introduced to there. As soon as the lady of the house found out that we were to repair to the nearest motel and return for their guests when we needed to, she immediately insisted that they had more than ample room and insisted that we stay there and that their sons and daughter would keep us entertained. We were in no position to argue, obviously, but to be most grateful for that kindness. Their mansion, indeed, had more than ample room. They assigned us to beautiful quarters, and sure enough, the sons and the daughter took us under their wing from there on in. Before long, we had been given quite a tour of the grounds as well as the interior. As I recall, the, the, the grounds included at least three separate complete gardens representing three cultures. One was an Italian garden with a plethora of Roman statuary and a gazebo of sorts. Another one was in the oriental motif, re replete with running brooks and bridges, etc. I do not recall the culture represented by the third garden. All three were immense and striking in every respect. When we saw the interior, what we saw of the interior was all beautifully furnished. Great artworks were pervasive throughout. When lunch came, they insisted that we sit with the whole family and their two guests from El Paso. Their way of making us feel welcome was even more outstanding than the wealth of their lifestyle. The long, elegant dining room table could have seated many more. What took me by 
The next surprise was that they presented us all with printed menus to select lunch from. Those menus offered as many choices as a modest restaurant would. The missus assured us that their pantry was equipped to honor all requests, even some which were not included in the menu, like if someone preferred breakfast at lunch, that, that was doable. The number of their hired help and how they were all dressed according to their role was like seeing what we normally saw only in the movies of the rich and the famous. I repeat, they did not act like the stereotype of the rich and the famous. It was a wonderful experience to be treated with such grace, with such graceful manner. A bigger surprise was in store for us when we were informed that we were to be part of a dinner party at a formal exclusive club where we would sit with perhaps 30 or 40 formally dressed friends of theirs, all adults with their kids and Danny and I being the only younger ones there. I do not even remember whether the dinner was in honor of the visiting bishop, but I suspect it was an event which had something to do with his presence. I cannot recall what was on the menu for the elegant table we sat at. Fortunately, I had packed a sport coat, a tie, and a white shirt, and dark pants for Sunday mass days. I do not recall what my brother wore. This all occurred 70 years ago, so only the major impressions remain of that experience of so many dimensions of a totally different world than what a totally than what 95% of the population experience in real life. We may we may experience it vicariously only through the movies as I said earlier. Because we had the great fortune to experience it all in vivo, we derived a very positive snapshot of ourselves for having been at the right place at the right time, and that we happened to be drivers for the people like the bishop and Father Gaynor to have entree to those environments. It had been colossally obvious to everyone there that Danny and I were totally out of our element and total strangers to their element. But they welcomed us gracefully and genuinely because we were seminarians and because we were the bishop's drivers. I felt humbled for being in the right place at the right time. I could not help but feel that their own servants were ex if their own servants were extended their graciousness, those servants were indeed fortunate. As I say, upward shifts in the quality of my life occurred with increasing frequency as I ascended on the ladder as a, an aspirant to the priesthood. And that frequency seems to have multiplied when both me and my brother were seen as aspirant seminarians, at least in Catholic circles, in the Catholic circles which we were steeped in. Our last mayor New York trip in 1958 coincided directly with my brother's ordination. To show how that happened, I need to give you a set of circumstances. First of all, Danny had received the orders of subdiaconate and diaconate at a seminary in Niagara, New York, so we had no way of celebrating those two occasions with him. His ordination to priesthood, on the other hand, took place in El Paso, and that last sacred order was confirmed con conferred on him by Bishop Metzger, so we had plenty of opportunity to celebrate in a big way. 
One of the assistants at the parish where Danny and I had been residing for the last six years, since 1950, a Father Arthur O'Sullivan had become a great and close friend of ours. He took it upon himself to organize a group of parish women to put together a festive luncheon in Danny's honor for him and his family and friends on the occasion of Danny's first Mass. He also orchestrated a move to distribute specially printed envelopes to the parish congregation announcing Danny's ordination, a parishioner like them, with a space for declaring a donation to be given to the newly ordained priest. That amounted to a special collection for my brother, all with the approval of the pastor who was by then Monsignor Gaynor. He had been elevated from Father Gaynor to Monsignor Gaynor. That had a great success in that it enabled my brother Danny to buy his first car. It was a used car, but a beautiful Chevy, his very first car. The luncheon banquet at that parish school cafeteria succeeded in gathering 50 to 60 people in a beautifully decorated environment. Our dad, our grandparents on my mom's side, multiple aunts and uncles, all from New Mexico, were invited. Our mom had died at age 50 in 1956, three years prior, while Danny and I were still in the seminary, while we were aspirants. But we were fortunate to be able to be with her in her last days of life. Also at that banquet was a friend of Danny's who had also been in theology at Niagara, New York. He had come from Jamaica, New York, his, home, his hometown, to be there for Danny's first Mass. His first Mass would occur back in Jamaica, and by prior arrangement between them, Danny was to fly back for his first Mass in Jamaica, New York. What happened next only added to all our wonderful, powerful feelings to which my brother's ordination, which my brother's ordination brought about. To have a brother ordained in the Catholic Church to me was like a young woman witnessing the wedding of her older sister, although she plans to marry two or three years, if time permits. I felt the honor which our family felt coming to them by virtue of one of our family members being called to this august station in life. The saying, many are called, few are chosen, was more than just a saying. People in Catholic circles really know how rare it is for a man to not only be called to the seminary, or for preparation begins and ends, but to actually be one of the small percentage who sees the entire preparation through to accepting what are truly regarded as sacred, the states of subdiaconate, diaconate, and priesthood. I felt that honor too. The family and friends felt a deep pride for my brother. I felt that too. As a matter of fact, I felt that pride especially deeply because I was privy to a series of salient facts which the rest of the family did not know and which I had clumsily forgotten when Danny announced his desire to start seminary life to become a priest. This is what I knew, which only Father, which only Father Gaynor, or now Monsignor, knew. When Danny was start, starting high school in Las Cruces, way before he went to El Paso and to Manhattan and to live in Tapiac Hall, he expressed a desire to enter the seminary 
to Father Caffrey, our pastor there in Las Cruces, way before he and Father Gaynor were reassigned to leave St. Genevieve's in Las Cruces, and for them both to go to the Catholic parish, the cathedral rather, in El Paso. Father Caffrey knew the circumstances of our family home life. He knew that our mom was raising five of the six of us as a single parent with little to meager support from our dad. He also knew that our older brother, our older sibling, had already gone to live with our dad in Silver, in Silver City, New Mexico. So when Danny told that priest his desire to pursue a vocation to study for priesthood, he told my brother Danny that he was then the senior male in our home and that his first obligation was to help our mom financially until we were all grown up sufficiently that our mom's burden would be light lightened or lifted. Danny took that advice to heart and began immediately to work to contribute to our mom's finance, finances by working after school. One of his first jobs had been as a janitor of the grade school in Father Caffrey's parish. So he put his dream aside to be responsive to alleviate our mom's financial stress since the rest of us were in the fifth, fourth, third, and maybe second grades. For instance, one Lincoln's birthday around 1945 became a day, a huge day of celebration in our humble abode because a retail store delivered a washing machine to our mom. My brother Danny had paid for it with money saved for just that purpose. My mom was ecstatic. Besides churning the clothes to a wash, the machine featured a double wringer so our mom did not have to wring clothes manually, a heavy component of wash day. Plus it eliminated the washboard, which represented the heaviest component of wash day. Back to Danny's story and his taking Father Caffrey's advice. He had confided to Father Gaynor of his approaching Father Caffrey and what he had advised. I do not know, I did not know any of this until I moved in with Danny at Tapiac Hall, precisely to earn more money than we could in Las Cruces. In my first or second year there at Tapiac Hall, Father Gaynor told me of the sacrifice Danny had made for the family and why, the sacrifice of giving up his dream in order to help our mom. I do not recall the details, really, but I'm pretty sure Father Gaynor told me all of that in Danny's presence. So he knew that I knew, but we never discussed it, not that I can remember. It was just one of those things that went unsaid in a family, and we just lived with it. I don't know if that is peculiar to all cultures. It was to ours to have unsaid, unspoken, unspoken things. What I did not know, nor anyone else, was that Danny stored all that in his mind and apparently never gave up the dream in his heart. By the time I had been in the seminary for three years, he brought the stored desire out, re-examined it, and decided to act on it. And that became the basis for his breakup with the girl whom I had mentioned he had carried such a torch for. I also made it a point to, to say how totally surprised I was 
when he broke up with that someone whom he loved deeply, quite deeply, as a 17, 18, 19 year old. At that time, I did not see that he did not need a negative reason for ending the relationship. He broke up with her because when one starts preparation for priesthood, one immediately starts acting on the vow of celibacy, although that vow does not become formalized until a year before priesthood. By acting on his dream, as I have mentioned before, one starts the process of giving up all relationships with the opposite sex. As it turned out, when he surprised me with wanting to enter the seminary after he had gone to college for three years, and after three years of relationship with that wonderful girl, my surprise was there because I'd forgotten the sacrifice he was called to make when he first said way before me that he wanted to be a priest. Then in 1959, the occasion of his ordination evolved in our lives. I remember quite vividly not only what he had sacrificed in his early teens, but also what he sacrificed by ending the relationship with the love of his life. I swelled with pride for the example he was affording me. That reinforced my determination to continue answering the call which I had been preparing for for nine years up to then. His example was a final explosive push to propel me further to my own ordination. I say all of this to try to convey what a historical happening his ordination turned out to be before the whole family and also how it impacted me so deeply for what I knew of his twice enacted sacrifice of great worth. If these things alone were all that his ordination occasioned, that would have given his hap this happening a significant place in our family history. It was also partial history for El Paso Diocese because Danny's ordination was also one for two other young men became ordained priests, specifically for the Diocese of El Paso by the bishop, Bishop Metzger. That had never happened before, that he was able to confer ordination to three at one time. The next time he would be able to repeat three at the same time would be three years later, when Dixon Hartford, Bob Getz, and myself would lie prostrate ourselves for an ordination ceremony at that same St. Patrick's Cathedral in El Paso, Texas. Aside, part of the ritual for ordination calls for the ordinandi, the ones to be ordained, to lie prostrate in the sanctuary where the bishop officiates at a pontifical mass. <laughs> 